You are listening to the Sermon Podcast from the Vandalia Church of Christ in Lubbock, Texas. We are a community that believes in the value of all people. You can find out more about us at www.vandalia.org or follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at Vandalia Church. I'd like to read again a passage from Ephesians uh, because it's, it's so dense, it bears repeating, it, it bears hearing again. Paul says to the church, I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints. And for this reason, I don't cease to give thanks for you as I remember you in my prayers. I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation as you come to know him. So that with the eyes of your heart enlightened, you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance among the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power for us who believe, according to the working of his great power? God put this power to work in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age but also in the age to come. He has put all things under his feet and has made him the head over all things for the church, which is his body the fullness of him who fills all in all. And then one other passage, this one from the end of Matthew, Matthew 25. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate people, one from another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He'll put the sheep at his right hand and the goats at the left. And then the king will say to those at his right hand, come, you that are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you gave me clothing. I was sick, and you took care of me. I was in prison, and you visited me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry and gave you food? Or thirsty and gave you something to drink? When was it that we saw you a stranger and welcomed you? Or naked and gave you clothing? And when was it that we saw you sick or in prison and visited you? And the king will answer them, Truly I tell you, just as you did it to one of the least of these who are members of my family, you did it to me. Then he'll say to those at his left hand, You that are accursed, depart from me into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For 
I was hungry. You gave me no food. I was thirsty. You gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger. You didn't welcome me. Naked. You didn't give me any clothing. Sick and in prison. And you didn't, didn't visit me. Then they also will answer, Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and didn't take care of you? Then he'll answer them. Truly, I tell you, just as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. These two passages, the one from Ephesians and the one from Matthew, are, are connected. They're paired together in the lectionary this week. Remember, the lectionary is um, the, a series of chosen passages that churches around the world um, move through together over the course of the year. And so around the world, churches are hearing these passages paired together, one after the other. And this combination, this pairing, is important. And I think one reason why it's important is because it's, it's easy to overly sort of spiritualize passages like the one from Ephesians. It's easy to think that the writer, that Paul is simply talking about otherworldly, ethereal, disembodied, afterlife realities. When in fact what he's doing is telling them that they need a reckoning of their present life. They need the constant reminder, just as we do, to consider who they are, to consider the direction of their lives. And so he reminds them of the fundamental truths that define their lives. He reminds them that through Christ, their sins have been forgiven. But that that forgiveness is more than sort of a legal declaration. It's more than a pardon from a distant God. That forgiveness is also a reframing, a calling, a sending, a reformation of our inmost selves. It's the giving of new eyes. To have the eyes of our hearts enlightened, as Paul says in Ephesians. What in the world does that mean? We perceive things differently than we otherwise would. I think that's at the heart of it. And with this new sight, we hope differently than we otherwise would. We place our hope in other things than we would if our hope were to lie elsewhere. It's important to pause here and remember that there are different ways of seeing, different ways of perceiving reality. One great example of this is in the person of Ebenezer Scrooge. He's bitter, he's greedy, he's self-centered. He sees everything and everyone around him in the dim light of that greed. What he sees when he looks at a thing or a person is something that either can or cannot add to his own comfort, his own wealth, his own power. When he looks at Bob Cratchit, he sees dollar signs. 
But as Scrooge is drawn out, as he's pulled away from his present life by the the ghosts of the past and the present and the future, he's given a broader view, a sort of overarching view of who he is and the impact he has in the world. And so that finally he's able to re-envision himself, to see the world around him differently than he had before, to rethink the way that he values and makes his choices. To come to see Bob Cratchit and others like him differently than he had before. When we see that story unfold, our inclination, I think, is always to identify with Bob or Tiny Tim, right? There's always this dark joy in seeing the bully get what's coming to him, to see him powerless and afraid for once. But what Charles Dickens was aiming to do with that story was to get the audience also to consider the ways that they might identify with Scrooge. We have to ask ourselves, what sort of shadow or darkness is over our own eyes, our own heart, that needs correction? How might our own perception of ourselves and our world and our neighbors and our enemies need to be changed, illuminated? What is it that this recalling to true hope is meant to correct or counteract or contradict in our own lives, our own culture? In what ways are we contributing consciously or unconsciously to the abuse of other people? In what ways do we see and treat other people as if they were merely means to our own ends? Our texts for today draw our attention to the way that we think about charity and also to the way that we read Scripture itself. It's possible for us to love Scripture, to love the Bible, but to read it in ways that drive us to focus more and more on ourselves, to use Scripture primarily as ammunition against our enemies, our opponents, to read Scripture in ways that only reinforce what we already think. The text from Matthew 25 is a good example of this. We read this stuff relating to the division of the sheep and the goats as a way of generating fear among those with whom we disagree or those, wish, those we wish God would count among the goats. And we can do this without really attending to the reason why they're divided in the passage, without seeing the reason why some are called goats. The reason is that they failed to reflect and participate in God's own life-giving, active love in the world. Some of them failed to see that faithfulness to God is manifest not just in what we think or in how many of the items on the spirituality checklist we've checked off, but in our relationships to our neighbors. The fact that at the heart of the Christian heritage is a story of the enfleshment of God. This is important, not just for the way we think about Jesus, but the way we think about ourselves, how we live our lives in the present moment. We are called to bring that same enfleshment of God's eternal love into the depths of our souls, into our lives, into the lives of our neighbors. We're called to wrap flesh around God in each moment. 
And what that looks like, Jesus himself tells us, is radical, shocking, offensive love. A love that cuts across dividing walls. But there's one more thing to notice, I think, in Matthew 25. It disrupts the way that we think of charity. First, it's not just Jesus saying, imitate me, but that in these types of interactions, in these relationships, in making selflessness and service our way of life, as Paul puts it later in Ephesians, Christ is actually present. But notice also there's something about this passage that's backwards. To see this, think about how the passage could have been written differently. There are a couple of ways this passage could have been written differently. I just want to consider one alternate version, which would go something like this. When you fed the hungry and gave something to drink to the thirsty, I was there in your service. When you clothed the naked and visited the prisoner, I was there in your love for them. When we think of these sorts of things, when we think of this type of service, this type of activity, we're inclined to envision ourselves as Jesus. We tend to think that we're the ones embodying Jesus to the people around us. And there is some deep truth to that. But Matthew 25 also points to another equally important part of that relationship with other people and our call to serve. When Jesus tells this little story, he does not say, when you fed the hungry and clothed the naked and visited the prisoner, I was there in your service. In this passage, Jesus is identifying not with the powerful, the privileged, the fed, the clothed, and the free. He's identifying with the powerless. Jesus is saying he's in them. He's among them. He's identifying with them. And this is important for a number of reasons. First, it's a reminder that God doesn't belong to me. God doesn't belong to us. We belong to God. God doesn't stay where I want God to stay. God doesn't exclude those I want God to exclude. God's presence doesn't depend on my permission. And one reason why this is an important point, I think, is because when we forget this, we tend to envision ourselves exclusively as the agents, the representatives, the manifestations of God's presence and God's power in the world. And in, when that happens, these acts of service can become twisted to reinforce the barriers and inequalities that they are meant to dissolve. We can use our acts of charity to bolster and support our position of power, to catalyze our own self-centeredness, to further darken our view of our neighbors and our world and ourselves, to reinforce our own vision of ourselves as occupying the center of the universe. And this passage pulls us out of that, like the ghosts drawing Scrooge out of his comfortable life, out of his assumptions and prejudices, this passage tugs at our hearts to see the world, to see God's presence and power differently. Um, Jim Wallace is a Christian writer and speaker, and 
I, I saw a video interview with him where he was talking about a, uh, a soup kitchen that he had worked in. Uh, and this, this one woman who was, she was always there serving. And one day, just before everyone insi- went inside to eat the meal, this woman was asked to pray. And she prayed a simple prayer. She said, Lord, we know you'll be showing up here today in line for soup. Please help us to treat you well. The point here, the point of this passage in Matthew 25, isn't so much to scare us, like Jesus is watching you like a hawk every time you interact with your neighbors to see if you're going to slip up. The point is that God loves in shocking and unexpected ways. God is present with and in solidarity with those who are cast out and cast off. And where God is, we are called to be also. Those with whom God enters into deep and abiding relationships, we are called into deep and abiding relationships. Those whom God calls friends, we are to call friends. Not just objects on the receiving end of our charity, part of a sort of transaction where I get my service points, or some sort of handing over, handing down from the godly to the godless, or the pious to the profane. But friends, those with whom along with God we share caritas, the original Latin root for our modern, modern English word charity, which just means love, a real, lasting, substantial love, the very love of God. Let's pray together. God, we praise your name this morning. I am so thankful for the many ways that this part of your body loves recklessly and incarnationally in fleshing your Son in this context. I pray that you would bind us together, fill us with your Spirit, and empower us to live out your radical love more and more in the world around us. Pray that you would enlighten the eyes of our hearts to see ourselves, to see our neighbors, to see our enemies, to see our world as you see them. We pray all things through Christ our Lord. Amen.